Hey, it's Pastor. I am so excited you could join us uh, as we hear and listen to the Word of God. And I'm always hoping and praying that He's going to specifically guide your life and give you the hope and the peace that you cannot give to yourself. He is the power every time He promises to work through this Word. If He has worked in your life, we want to hear about it. Please email us, let us in, encourage us uh, by emailing office.amazinglove at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry, make messages like this ongoing, uh, go to our giving tab online or download the app. Go to the app store and search Amazing Love Luther. But now, may you continue to grasp how wide, high, and deep and long is the love of Christ in this for you. Thank you. Well, friends, good morning once again. I hope you were welcomed by the worms as I was today. That is so pleasant. And um, I'm a pretty big movie buff, and I was wondering, how many of you have heard the movie called Arrival? Anyone seen this movie? I know it was nominated for some Oscars. Well, I have bad news if you wanted to watch this movie. Um, I'm going to totally spoil it for you, okay? So let me explain a little bit about Arrival, that movie. It was all about an alien encounter. And, and the two big questions were, who are these aliens and what are they there for? Uh, we figure out real quick uh, with the character of Amy Adamance, and, and she was uh, charged to communicate with the aliens, that they are named heptapods. Now, they name them heptapods because of the legs that they have, but more interesting is why they are there. Amy Adams has the charge, again, of communicating, uh, you know, trying to figure out their language, and their language looks like this. It's nonlinear. It's in circular form, and this whole thing can say a sentence, can say a thought. This whole thing has many words all in one. Now, because it is nonlinear, what they actually gave was a gift of understanding a world without time. See, this language imparted a gift that Amy Adams, by understanding the language, could also understand the future. In fact, she became a future forecaster, and she saved the world by this call through China. You should watch the movie, but she knew the future. Now, this is important because as you watch the movie, you saw these clips about her family. The movie opens with the death of her daughter. It's kind of grim, kind of somber. And then it shows later other clips about a separation from a husband. And all the while you see this, you're thinking this is what has happened in the past. But here's the thing. Because she knows the future, this was actually flash-forwards, not flashbacks. In fact, it's looking to a day where she again might lose her daughter and her husband. And all of this could happen if she starts this relationship with this man. Because she understood the future, she knew that if she continues a relationship with this man whom she just met, she will lose her daughter and it will end with a nasty, nasty separation. And it leaves us with a cliffhanger. The cliffhanger is this. Will, will, knowing what she knows about the future, what will she do in the present? So if she knows she will lose a daughter, if she knows that she's going to separate from her husband, will she actually go through with that relationship? And I won't tell you that part. So sorry. But we know something about the future, don't we? If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you know something about what is going to happen. In fact, God speaks to us about this. And what I wanted to present to you is this. Knowing what we know about the future, what will we do in the present? Now, what do we know about um, the future? It, it really is, is found here because God gave us also the gift of communication through this book. 
Um, and he didn't use the language that the heptapods used. He used Hebrew and Greek, and he, he put this book together so that we would know past and present and future implications. And if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, you know about the future that you will have a new body someday. We, we did the sermon on heaven. We, we know we're going to go to a new heavens and a new earth someday. There will be no more sickness or sadness or disease. We know that, that someday we win in the end. That's, that's what the book says. But I have a sneaking suspicion. I have this feeling that even though we know what happens in the future, we don't leverage that near enough for the present. Even though we know where this is all leading, we don't always keep that in mind to affect what is happening here. And it is God. It is God who said this. He said, set your minds then on the things above, on the things to come, not on earthly things. I have this idea that, that if we would think more about the future, it could give us peace in the present. I have this idea that, that if we thought about more about the future, it could give us purpose in the present. You know, some business people even picked up on this idea of looking to the future and how it affects your present. Uh, there's this book by Stephen Covey called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, maybe some of you have read it. Well, he said uh, one of the principles, begin with the end in mind. And so if you have an idea of like what you would like to look like or where you'd like to be in business, that should affect what you're doing currently. How much more for a Christ follower if you call yourself a believer? If we have not just a fuzzy idea of what's coming, but a firm reality of what is coming, how shouldn't that affect our purposes and our plans here? That's what I want to talk about with you today, about how the future affects our present. So welcome once again, and again, a special welcome to you. If you are new to Amazing Love or new to Christianity, we're just glad that you are here. Uh, in this series, we're looking about at Jesus as he's hanging from the cross. And uh, about that, I just wanted to let you know that, that he's on the cross for you out of love for you. And there's this wonderful passage that says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for you. He knows your name. He cares about you. He loves you radically. And so we looked about a few words, like today you'll be with me in paradise. Last week, woman, behold your son. Today, we get the great declaration that Jesus says. Let's get into it. From, from, from John. John was a disciple standing there at the crosses as Jesus died. And John was able to hear Jesus declare this, uh, and then he records. It, it says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Could you say that with me? Let's say the, the phrase, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it's interesting, in Greek, that word is tetelestai. Uh, you know, and it's just one word that makes up these three words, tetelestai. And if there's ever a word that could speak about present, uh, past, present, and future implications, it's it is finished. Because it meant in the, in the past, salvation was accomplished. It means in the present, anyone who is captive to sin can be set free. And it means in the future that we will all be in the victor's circle because it is finished. This is what we get to explore. May God so bless us. Could you turn to the person next to you and say, Don't worry, it's done. Don't worry, it's done. Don't worry, it's done. I've never been to South Dakota. I hear good things about the, the Black Hills region. And I've never seen uh, this national memorial. Has anyone ever been to Mount Rushmore? Okay, so I am obviously left out. I did not get the memo. 
What is interesting, I was doing some research on, on this national memorial. It started in 1927 I, uh, uh, by uh, Gutson Borglum, and I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm massacring that name. Gutson Borglum um, started in 1927. And uh, from 1934 to 39, he uh, made those faces. Um, but uh, Gutsum, he, he died in 1941. And his son tried to continue the work until they ran out of funding um, in 1941. So it was only months that his son took over the work. We need to know about Mount Rushmore. It was supposed to be a picture from head to waist. And you can kind of see it there with George Washington, that they were working on it. Um, but they never got that far. Mount Rushmore is a picture of an unfinished work, isn't it? It's an unfinished reality. And, and this week, I was just struck by all the unfinished things there were in my life. I was looking at, I have this journal where I have prayers and I have thanksgiving and I record details. And I went over the last three years and, and it, I could see God is working on me and he's growing me. But I could also see like he is not done at all. Like we have just scratched the surface. It reminded me of a discussion I heard in the parking lot. I heard these young people talk about adulting. I guess that's a verb now, adulting. Um, and, and these young people were saying, I'm so scared to get to that point, I don't want to adult, right? And, and I heard on the radio, they're actually teaching, you know, classes in universities about how to adult properly, right? So uh, adulting. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like Peter Pan. I'm the kid who never wanted to grow up too. Um, but, but now that I am an adult, I think um, I've learned something about it. You are never done. It's never done, this adulting thing. You're always growing, you're always learning, and you're always trying to get better, this adulting thing. I consider other things that are unfinished. Parenting is always unfinished. I'm sorry. You are never done. Can't say ever finished. I'm done with that. I consider house projects. You know, cleaning the house is, is burdensome. Because as soon as you clean it, it is dirty, and there's always more that you could clean. Welcome to spring cleaning season. And then finally, you know, on, on Sundays we get the paper. I don't know if you ever looked at the Target ad. I'm always a Target ad guy, and there's always a wish list. And you're like, oh, this week I want this thing. And then sometimes you actually get that thing, and what happens? Now I want this thing, <laughs> you know, and just on and on and on. We live with this tension of many unfinished things, don't we? So how glorious is it today to hear that there is something in our lives, something that is finally, stick a fork in it, it is done, it is finished, it is good to go, as good as it ever needs to be. And it's something that Jesus has done for you. And he did it on a different mount. A mount that speaks of a finished work. It is this place. This is Golgotha. This is the place where the crosses were. And Golga, Golgotha means the place of the skull. And I don't know about you, can you pick out where the skull is on this picture? So let, let me point it out. Uh, two eyes, nose, I guess a mouth there, right? And on this place... Jesus says, not for himself most of all. He says for us most of all, it is finished. And I need to share with you what is finished, finally complete. Stick a fork in it and it's done. That your salvation is finished. See, many people live with this reality that they have to do something for their salvation. I have to be a good person. I have to get it all right. I have to prove myself. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's done. Stick a fork in it, it's done done. My salvation, your salvation is done through Jesus. This is our reality. How awesome. And you need to know what this means for your, your present. You need to know this future reality that speaks to our present because what it means, my friends, is it means that you are free and we are free of guilt and of shame. And that is so good. 
And I just want to explore this with you a little bit. And so uh, to talk a little bit about guilt, I had a volunteer that I'm going to call up at this point. Are you still ready? Are you still in it? All right, so Dan, join me on the stage here. Let's give a round of applause for Dan. It's scary to be up here. So Dan, didn't know you were going to get a workout today, I know. Um, but uh, I, I brought a 12-pounder, which I think you can handle. And, um, and so the goal is you're just going to hold it, you know, tense like this. Okay? And so, so that's, that's all it is, is, you know, hold it so that you feel some, some tension in your well, bicep. Right? Right? And so we're going to wait until, you know, the, the pressure really mounts. Because okay. that's what happens, isn't it? Like, sometimes when you're holding a position, it's like planking. Anyone ever plank? You hold it out like this. And, and y- y- we there we go. To make, we wanted to make it a quicker... Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but but it, my, my illustration wouldn't work if it went too quick. Yeah. Yeah, correct. I don't want to send you to the hospital. That's not about. But my point is, can you feel any pressure mounting? Yeah. Yeah, right? That's what happens, and we'll just continue talking. Because isn't this what guilt is like? Have you ever done something, and, and, and then it kind of just sticks with you days later, and, and weeks later, and da, 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 until it kind of builds, doesn't it? Guilt is that way. And then I was thinking about Jesus' life, right? Jesus had to endure many days, and they got harder and harder and harder until he was on the cross. He was tortured, he was betrayed, he was deserted, all the while mounting to this breaking point. How you doing, Dan? Doing okay? Well, are you ready to hear a a fantastic word? You're done. You can let it down. Now, how does that feel? Does it feel pretty good? All right. Well, let's give him a round of applause. That is what it is finished means. It means that work is done. Have you guys ever had a job where you work to the point of physical exhaustion? You ever been there? Maybe it was even chores at a house. I remember I had two jobs. One was a 12-hour shift at a butter factory, and the other one was working on a roof in the hot Orlando sun when they were remodeling Burger King's. When I got done and heard it was finished, first I would hit the Slurpees in Orlando, but then when I got home, I would just plop down. You ever been there? Like, I can't even walk any further. You just plop on the bed and you are done. And it is a glorious feeling, especially when you've been working so hard. A glorious feeling to just release pressure and to to say, "I'm, I'm resting the rest of the day. On a scale a thousand times grander, can you imagine how good it felt for Jesus to say, it is done. His whole life he was living for you and I, trying to be perfect, and he was. He, he had to, again, uh, recently be forsaken by his father and deserted and, and endure the suffering, and for him to say to Telestai, it is finished, the glorious release that he's finally done. But when Jesus was done, something else was. The pressure of our guilt, done forever and ever and ever and ever. Your guilt is gone. You have no right to it anymore. And I don't care if it's guilt in a distant past or a near past. That guilt is removed. I I love this this picture from the prophet Micah. He said this is what God did with guilt. He said, you hear all my iniquities and the guilt that comes with it into the depths of the sea. He threw our sins further than we could throw that 12-pound weight. And the pressure is released. My friends, it's good to be real with the fact that we've made mistakes and sins, but you need to be just as real with the fact that they're removed because of Jesus. But there's more to this word, tetelestai. Tetelestai means the work is done, but it also means the payment has been made. I want to show you a glorious letter I got in the mail. 
It's an awesome letter. It's like one of my favorite letters. Um, does anyone know what this is? This is a title to a car, baby. I am the proud owner, owner of a manly, red, gas-saving Prius. It's as manly as we get here. And uh, the bank can't make me make the payments anymore. I've made them all, it says. And, and I don't really believe it's mine, it's God's, but, but it's more mine than the bank's. And that's what I love. The, the, they can't come calling, right? So, Awesome. Well, just as we were familiar with titles for cars and houses, maybe some of you, not me. Um, but anyway, as we're familiar with those things, so God gives us a different title. And it's on the back of your outline today. Did you see the title I made for you? You have a title that says you have forgiveness. And it is paid, every sin in full. And that is what tetelestai means. That you have this certificate. Let me tell you how you use it. You don't use it to do whatever you want on the weekend, by the way. You use it whenever the devil, the accuser, comes calling. And when the devil would like to point his shame finger at you, and he says, you better pay, and you are too unlovely, you use it and you say, I may have been unlovely, but God has redeemed me. I may have reasons for shame, but God has removed them. I have maybe been ugly at one point in my life, but God, he has made me beautiful now and forever because I'm his child and I'm his bride. You got the title. Use it often. See the glorious reality of it is finished. You don't have to live in guilt and shame. You can live with peace every day if you understand the, the meaning of these words. You know, it also affects the way God sees us. You know, I was reading this book called The Divine Romance, and The Divine Romance was all about how God loves his church. God loves uh, believers. And, and there was a statement that, that God was saying in the book, um, written by Gene Edwards. Um, this was God speaking to the angels, because the angels saw the church, the bride, this beautiful girl. He says, What you have seen, that girl, perfect, radiating the fullness riches of my life, that is what I always see. Do you know right now the Father, as he looks down on your life, sees a beautiful child, sees someone he delights in. That is what he always sees. And sure, we'll have the fullness of that reality in heaven when there is no more sin, but that reality of what he sees is right now. You get to live in it. He delights in you. You are beautiful in his sight. How good is this? But there's more. There's more about how that future reality speaks to our present. The future reality speaks to our peace right now, and hopefully it is overwhelming, but it speaks of something else. Let me talk about the struggle. Um, I've been watching a little bit of March Madness, not as much this year, um, but uh, anyone watching March Madness currently? Okay, a few. And um, I, I'm a Wisconsin guy. Um, you know, I played at Camp Randall. I went to the field house, was in a Badger basketball camp. That was cool. So, so I saw what happened to the Badgers. And, and you know, it's funny because everyone loves a buzzer beater except if you're the losing team, right? You know, if you have no, you know, uh, horse in the race, you're like, oh, I love that. That was great. Unless it's your team. And maybe you know that, that they lost uh, by this guy, the, the guy from Florida, hitting the buzzer beater, and it was over. And, and you try to look at the silver lining behind a buzzer beater. Like, what's the good news? And I consider some of the interviews that happen. Sometimes a coach will say, you know, well, we had a really good season. Okay. Or, wow, we have real hopes for the next year. Okay. 
But the reality is, there isn't that much of a silver lining. You are going to have a victory, and now you are defeated, and it's done. I'm sorry to be a pessimist, but that's the reality. It's bad news. You just lost. Sorry. I bring it up because, for whatever reason, I was, I was just dealing with life, and I just feel life sometimes feels like a buzzer beater, and we're at the losing end. And I just want to be real in these moments that life is a struggle. And I guess the reason I share that is not to get you down, but just to say you're not alone. As a pastor, I just listen, and there is so much struggle. There is. I mean, in our families, there's not a family without dysfunction. There's not a family without problems. Uh, Maybe not a family without abuse and some really hard things to deal with. It's real, friends. And then I think of what it takes to have something good in life. The hard work it, it takes to actually be good at your job and things to go well. The hard work it takes in a relationship. The hard work it takes to get to the, 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 the next level and the next level. And the struggle, it is just, it's just so real. You know what I'm saying? In fact, I was thinking, maybe that's why God has pastors as humans rather than like his voice from heaven, just so I could say, you're not alone in the struggle. I get it. But we're not alone. I want you to think of Jesus' life. Jesus' life. He's a man who's familiar with suffering, a man of sorrows. This is a guy who knew struggle. He was misunderstood from the beginning. He he was deserted, betrayed, tortured, and crucified. This is a man who understands struggle. I was reading also about the disciples. Almost every disciple died a martyr's death. This this past week I was reading my Bible, and I was rereading Saul's conversion. Some of you might have heard of Paul, Saul. Well, on his road to Damascus, and and, and he he gets converted by Jesus. He's like, I'm going to take you from a persecutor to a proclaimer. It's a great story. But then he said this to Paul. He said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I was like, that's kind of eerie. Like, I don't want that message. Let's get back to the, like, no shame and guilt thing. But this thing... Oh, but there's reality there, isn't there? And some Christians know this. And I was listening to another commentator, and and this commentator, he said, sometimes the nearer Christ, the nearer the cross, and the heavier our afflictions. And I'm like, oh, man, I wish that wasn't true, but there's some truth to that. But then Paul said something else. See, Paul knew suffering. He was stoned. Uh, he was um, shipwrecked. He, he was bit by venomous uh, uh, snakes. Um, he, he was disowned. I mean, he, he had a hard life. But, but he said something else. In, in one of his letters, this is the, the hope that he had. He said, we may be hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I want you to enter in this with me, and I'm going to read it again, and you get to say, but not. And you can say, but not, as soft or as loud. I prefer the loud, um, as, as you want. But if you're comfortable, let's just say, but not together, right? So we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed. In despair, we are persecuted. We are struck down but not destroyed. And now I want to tell you about the Greek. I'm kind of a nerd here on the Greek. The Greek has two words for the word but. And and there's the word de, which is the small but, and there's the word Allah, which is the big but. And de is kind of like this minor transition, okay? So it's a thought de, and Allah is is this bigger transition um, saying like, hold the phone, whatever came before, this changes everything. That's Allah. Can you imagine which um, Greek word Paul uses? He uses the big butt. 
And I'm sorry, but I like big butts. And I cannot lie. I'm sorry for that reference. It just goes so, it's so natural, my friends. Sorry. I'm just a human dude. Anyway. Um, but this is a hold the phone butt. You may be in struggle, but Paul came to say, but hold the phone. All things are changed. There's a new side to this story. You are not defeated. You may wonder how it gets better. I am here to tell you, but it does. You might wonder how, how, how the, the wrong things can be made right, but I'm here to tell you it will be someday that will be our reality because Jesus said it is finished. And that future reality speaks to our present circumstance even amidst the struggle. I love it. In fact, there was this preacher named Stephen Furtick who went off on the same thought. And I wanted to share what he said. He said, I can't promise that you will have exactly the kind of victory you want in, that, in this life. And I'm so glad he was real there. Because that is true. Though it may be more possible than you think by God's power. But I can definitely tell you that you are traveling through this life with Jesus. Then in one way or another, at one time or another, all your defeats will be overwhelmed in Christ's victory. This is truth for us in the struggle. So let me say to you, you may be down, but you are not defeated. But you are not defeated. What glorious news. But the final thing it is finished does is it, is it gives us incredible purpose right now. If we know where things are going, we know what we should be doing right now. It, it's like the most big incentive I can imagine. I was reading a little bit about incentives this past week. Uh, there's this book um, called the, the Body for Life. Um, it's big in gym circles. They brought it up, uh, gym guys that I talked to, Body for Life. It's really good. And as I was rereading it, uh, they said that if you do this 12-week challenge, to the winner of the 12-week challenge will go this thing. A red Lamborghini Diablo. Now, that might be a little bit better than my Prius. And it would be a huge incentive if I knew all I had to do was work out for 12 weeks and I was going to get this at the end, I think I could handle the gym. I might even handle clean eating. We'll see. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that is major incentive to get it right, isn't it? In fact, the reason that it's in the garage is because they gave it away twice. They, they gave it away like 20 years ago. They did it again in 2016. Maybe they'll give it away again. Good luck. What our message speaks about is an incentive better than a red Lamborghini. See, God looks into our future and he tells us we are going to wear the victor's crown. We are going to have life eternal and it will be good and that is ours forever. We win in the end. And if that is the case, there's something we should do right now. And Paul, he spoke about it when he said this. He said, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Get the Lambo, get the crown. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They don't do it to get a crown that will last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, and I do not um, fight like a boxer beating the air. No, knowing the future creates incredible intentionality for my present he knows what he's fighting for. He knows where this is all leading. He knows the important activity that he is doing. And I don't know about you, but I was kind of convicted by that, that, that segment called running aimlessly. Because I wanted to be real and I want to level with you. How much are we running aimlessly? 
How much of your life would you say is an aimless pursuit? Can we just talk about that? Like, I'm a, I'm a big pleasure guy. I like having fun as much as the next guy. You know, spring break is about this time. You know, but if, if our only goal is to have pleasure on top of pleasure on top of pleasure, is that really the point? Or possessions. I was, I was looking at our house and thinking about a water softener. And, and that got me thinking, like, all the things I could do to the house, and it was overwhelming, right? Like, the list would never end. The, the home projects you could have, you know what I'm saying? Like, it never ends. You can always do more and more and more. And at the end of the day, is our life really about a possession? But then I can consider the, the prizes that we can acquire here and the accolades, that you can spend your whole life pursuing a sports accolade, your whole life pursuing a business accolade, your whole life getting titles behind your name. And, and I was looking at that, and, and none of these things are bad in and of themselves. I'm just, I'm just wondering, are they the true and major point? And I realize they're not, not when I see the future. And then I realize God's first commandment to us believers. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That love for him should come above everything else. That we should pursue him above everybody else and everything else. And I wonder, have you failed? Because I have. And I just want to repent and bring that to the Lord again. I want to repent of all the times I've been aimless. Because I look at the cross. And the cross does not speak about aimless activity. If, if Jesus were aimless, he would have never got there. If Jesus were aimless, he would have come down from the cross and zapped everyone who was mocking him. But he was intentional. And because he was intentional, he crossed the finish line. Because he was intentional, he won, and it means you win. Because he was intentional, it means we get to live with forgiveness and that glorious reality. Uh, forgiveness for all our aimless activity and forgiveness for all of our sins. It is ours. But the future should speak to our present. And what I think it does, I, I think this is what we should do. That we should replace our aimless, if we know it is coming, with intentional. See, I don't know what you think about this church or what we're doing here, but, but this isn't just a silly, purposeless gathering. You know, we don't just come together to say hi and eat donuts, as much as the donuts are good. No, we understand this world is like a Titanic ship going down. That this world does not last forever, and yet we are a lifeboat. This world is a lifeboat saying there is room to come in. There's room to be safe. There is room in the end for you to win too. It's like the ark in the midst of the flood. That's what the church is about. And so when we work and serve together, we keep that purpose in mind. This is not meaningless activity. It has a purpose that will impact eternity. And then we go away from this place. And, and if you work at your, your home or if you work at a job, it means that you have purpose. It's not just about your glory and your name. It's about God's glory. That people would see how good you do something and they would praise him, they would find him. It talks about the next generation, I think. Can I level with you about the next generation? There's so much talk about how to raise kids and the millennials and all that. I want to just level and say, knowing what I know about the future, putting in that perspective, I could care less how smart they are. To a degree. I could care less how successful 
they are. I could care less what they do and accolades they make and, and how they change the world because all I really want for the next generation is that they're in the lifeboat when the place goes down. All I really want is that my kids and your kids and everyone would know Jesus and how good he is and that they would not lose that prize. May it be so. We know the future. May it give you purpose in the present. And now let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for the perspective that this word gives. And first of all, I just pray for all those who are locked with shame and guilt. And I ask you, release it, Lord. Release it because it is paid for and we are set free. And now knowing that we are the righteousness of God, let that empower us to live for you intentionally intentionally in all our activity to give you glory and to live for a purpose, on purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.